would you do if you could do anything? Welcome to The Purpose Effect. I'm Elena. Join me for weekly conversations on purpose with women who have found it and are impacting their worlds with it. And so I really felt, okay, this is a second chance that I have in life and what am I going to do with it? And kind of having this post-traumatic growth mindset that had taken me through chemo and even post-chemo and it's still something I carry a lot with me till today. Um, it's really very much about how I want to spend my time. And, you know, one day we're all going to leave this earth and, and really what kind of legacy do I want to leave behind for my children? What kind of story would I want to tell? Today's conversation is with Melise Tan, the founder of Bobble a brand of biodegradable, eco-friendly period products. I initially reached out to Melise because I was excited to see period products that were safer for your body and better for the environment. I also loved the conversations Bobble was having around destigmatizing menstruation and educating everyone, not just women, on menstrual health. What I didn't realize was that Melissa's journey towards starting Bobble was one that was rooted in a dedication to purpose and creating a positive impact. In 2017, shortly after the birth of her first child, Melissa was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, a cancer of the white blood cells. When she recovered, she was determined to live this new lease of life with purpose and intention. We talk about post-traumatic growth how to make more empowered choices around menstruation and period care, and how to build a sustainable, scalable business. But to begin with, we talk about the moment when the trajectory of her life and her work completely changed. Yeah, so my story has been uh, a bit of a, a roller coaster one. It wasn't something that I sought after intentionally to go into this industry, nor, I guess, sought after to intentionally um, a startup. And, and this is actually my third startup to date. Mm-hmm. I, I guess it all be in uh, 2017. I mean, most of my career has been very much corporate um, prior to that. And I had dabbled in a couple of startups um, uh, on the side. And in 2017, um, I was diagnosed with stage 2 Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer. Um, and I was diagnosed shortly after I gave birth to my, my daughter, my first child. So she was two months old at the time. And, um, we, you know, I thought I'd be one of those parents that, um, I I don't need a helper, you know, uh, I'm going to take a short career break and then go back to work. And, uh, that obviously wasn't the case. So, um, I quickly made the decision to, to just, I decided on chemo, um, as a form of treatment. So I went through six months of chemo during that year. And, uh, I ended up having to get a helper actually to help us out at home. My husband also had, luckily he had his own business at the time. So it allowed him some flexibility. So, um, and during those six months, I guess also now being a parent and then going through, um, a traumatic health experience, I started to be more conscious of what I was purchasing, what I was consuming, what we're using at home, especially anything that we touched or what we consumed. So I I started to read more about natural plant-based alternatives, you know, organic, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And uh, we started to to make those habits and those changes and switching out what we're using from detergents to, to soaps, washing liquid, um, even, body care. I've, I've actually reverted back to the, 
traditional old bar soap, but I like that it's actually wrapped sometimes in a paper-based wrapping. So, um, rather than, you know, in a plastic bottle. So, um, so I also then started to look into my peer products because for most of my adult life, I've been using tampons and this is something that we put into our bodies. Mm-hmm. And in Malaysia at the time, there is only one brand of tampons and I use non-applicated tampons, by the way. And it was like, I didn't have a choice. I only had one brand I could choose. So yeah. I started to, to look for alternatives and I found that they were only either available in the US, the UK, Australia. They were very expensive. Uh, well, firstly, they didn't ship here because they did ask. And then secondly, mm-hmm. um, it would be expensive for me to convert with the dollar or the pound and then having to get a friend to buy it back. It was just not sustainable. Mm-hmm. So um, as I was just, I guess, on this road of trying to find an alternative for myself, that's where I sort of discovered and learned a lot more about what generic brands um, were made from um, in terms of the packaging as well. And this is where I, my curiosity um started to evolve and I start and then I realized also how little I knew about periods and I thought oh my gosh I have a daughter now one day in the next 10 12 years I'm gonna have to talk to her about this stuff and I realized how little I actually knew so that's where I started on this journey of just discovery and really learning about this space and about products and and overall menstrual health and well-being and I realized that um, there is quite a gap in this market, at least for Southeast Asia or Asian women. As you know, there's a lot of taboo and stigma that surrounds this topic, let alone um, safer alternatives that are available for women to, to use. So um, as I mentioned before, this is my third startup. And I told myself mm-hmm. if I were to ever go back into another startup, I wanted to do something that was purpose-driven. Um, yeah. And I felt that well, I had successfully completed chemo and and, and recovered well from that. So I'm very thankful for that. And uh, it took me, I would say, a good year before I actually started anything. And it was even in a small scale, yeah. I think it was that courage, you know, having that career break for about a year and a half and um, kind of going back into something, especially my own startup. I had actually gone back to work and I, I was working full time for an innovation consulting company. Um, mm-hmm. So that by the time I, I had the courage to actually start Bubble, sort of in the end of 2019, it was it was a side hustle. Yeah. And then, uh, so I tested with a very small sort of uh, uh, order with a group of women. I was just at bazaars, really. Uh, we didn't yeah. even have a website. And um and I actually, even before starting, I did a survey with, with about 450 women just to really understand what women wanted before I went into this assumption of going to this business. And then uh, we actually sold out um, our day pads and our night pads within seven months um, of the soft launch. Um, so, yeah. uh, and this was in April last year in 2020. So this is what sort of validated wow. the business for me. And, uh, and I lost my job at the same time. So during COVID, I actually lost my <laughs> job. And so I thought, okay, maybe this is a blessing in disguise. It forced me to then go into this full-time, and then we officially launched in June 2020. Wow. So it's been a pretty turbulent few years. I mean, most obviously with your health, but then very quickly scaling a business and add to that the impact of motherhood, which I think completely changes everything. How did you find the energy and the resilience to stay the course? Uh, I guess in a way, you know, again, going through perhaps a traumatic experience. Um, and and, I, and I, I guess it was this particular thing that I read during the early stages of my chemo. So it was actually Sheryl Sandberg, Sandberg's second book, Option B. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the beginning of the book, she talks about 
post-traumatic growth. And we hear the term PTSD a lot, right? Mm Post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's, you know, people, as they go through that, it's really about how can you bounce back, right? Bounce back to, you know, how things were before. The reality is that it's quite hard for someone to really bounce back if you've gone through a traumatic experience. And so she talks about how do you bounce forward from something? And, um, you know, I guess I was very blessed that I was able to successfully complete treatment. Um, my doctor used to joke, if you had to choose a cancer, this is the cancer to choose at this age because there's a higher chance of um, success rate uh, mm-hmm. on treatment and recovery. Okay. And uh, and so I really felt, okay, this is a second chance that I have in life and what am I going to do with it? And kind of having this post-traumatic growth mindset that had taken me through um, chemo and even post chemo. And it's still something I carry a lot with me till today. Um, it's really very much about how I want to spend my time. And, you know, one day we're all going to leave this earth and, and really what kind of legacy do I want to leave behind for my children? What kind of story would I want to tell? No matter, you know, if we, we, we became really successful and we've scaled to the way that I wanted, fantastic, right? We could, uh, you know, impact a hundred thousand women, a million women. Great. Even if I change, you know, 10, 20, a hundred women's lives and, you know, touch wood, maybe we never made it that big because we still remained a small business. Um, at the end of the day, it's still very much about being purpose-driven and being impact-driven. Um, it's very far cry from my previous life and my previous career, which was very different. Um, and, you know, I realized that life is just so precious now and it's just it's really how, how do we want to spend our time. And for me, it's always been about, I've always had um, a passion for women and youth in the community. Yeah. Um, I've done a lot of volunteer work in that space even before chemo. So I think that kind of had carried through with me and, and I guess you know, what I do now in my business, coupled with, with my passion and, and, and sort of youth and women, I think it all connects together. And, and when the UN SDGs actually was, was launched back in 2016, 2017, that really spoke to me. And, uh, and I felt myself very much aligned with what their missions are. And so, Bobble, we are also very purpose-driven and aligning ourselves with, with five of the UN SDGs. Um, can you just explain what those um, UN SDGs are um, maybe for those people who are not familiar with that? Sure. So uh, the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals. So there are 17 goals. Um, For us, we really try to touch on um, at least four to five of them. And the first one is gender equality, right? I think this Mm -hmm. is a common term that we hear. And uh, for us, gender equality isn't just about women in this case we are also quite an inclusive brand uh, an inclusive brand you may have heard the term not all menstruators uh not all women menstruate not all menstruators are women mm-hmm. and uh so we also recognize that there is a community of cisgender and transgenders that are still menstruating as well so uh so gender equality for us is of course recognizing that particular community of, and of course mm-hmm. women that, that are the majority of our community and our customers. So it's really about how we can have better access to basic essentials such as a period product, right? And really a period product is not an, a luxury item and we want women mm-hmm. to have equality in having access to, to basic essentials such as these. Um, this yeah. sort of links to um, uh, to another SDG, which is clean access to clean water and sanitation. So we would fall under the sanitation um, category. So again, feminine hygiene product. Well, I hate to call that, say that word and I'll explain why later, but um, yeah. 
period <laughs> products that fall under uh, sanitation in that way, right, in terms of from a product-related standpoint. So it's making sure that women will have access to, to this education, so quality education. So, again, education is huge, right, for us specifically in this vertical of menstrual health and well-being, right, and, and periods. Um, and really we, we learn so little in schools about this for something that happens for 40 years of our lives. That's about 450 periods in a woman's lifetime on average. But we know so little about that. So it blows my mind that, you know, this last 100 years, nothing's really changed in this yeah. industry in terms of product, how it's sold, how it's advertised, how it's being taught. So um, so we want to take it upon ourselves as a, a responsible brand on how we can close this gap on, on, on proper education in this, uh, in this particular vertical. Uh, good health and well-being, of course. So um, linking back to that, menstrual health and well-being, it's really understanding why do you get cramps as something as basic as that? Why do you get cramps? And actually cramps, really bad cramps is not a normal thing, right? And, yeah. and, and that could be a sign of fibroid cysts or, or PCOS mm-hmm. or endometriosis, right? And we're hearing these, uh, you know, women more and more being diagnosed with this really in the last couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. So again, right, we want uh, women to be empowered with the right knowledge so that they are able to access the right kind of support um, if they are diagnosed. And then last but not least is responsible consumption and production. So really in, in terms of our product, it's mm-hmm. enabling women and empowering women with choices with their period care um, and that they can choose safer alternatives and, and ones that are also a more sustainable option, right? More eco-friendly to our planet. So trying to kill two birds with one stone. Yeah. So I want to go back to what you were saying about purpose and impact, because that is, um, it's a very common sentiment that um, I hear when I'm talking to women on this podcast is this idea that it's really important with your time on this life to make an impact. It doesn't matter how big or small it is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of those things which creates a lot of success in some of the businesses that the woman I've been speaking to at least um, have started because the goal is always about creating an impact or maybe it's about education or maybe it's about advocacy. But it's also one of these goals that's infinite. I don't know if you've read any Simon Sinek and you've heard Mm -hmm. him talk about an infinite mindset and how Mm -hmm. this is a key to, um, you know, business success, but also, um, impactful businesses, businesses that will stand the test of time. Absolutely. But I wanted to ask you, what does purpose mean to you? And is that related perhaps to why this business has managed to scale and do so well compared to your other startups so mm-hmm. early? Yeah, absolutely. Um, entrepreneurs, you know, I think anyone can be an entrepreneur, right? I think most, especially younger generation wake up and think I want to be an entrepreneur. And it's a very common trap for entrepreneurs to, there's a Kool-Aid out there, right? Drinking this Kool-Aid and thinking I have this great business idea and I think it's going to make a million bucks and I'm going to be a millionaire with this. Um, And I think what happens is that entrepreneurs, we so easily fall in love with our idea and there's so many assumptions around that. And it's really about what's in our heads. And I'm speaking and sort of really from a past tense experience from my, my first two startups. It's like, yeah, great idea. Okay, cool business model. I think there's a market here. Um, we can make some money. We can raise some fundraising, uh, some, you know, some investment. And um, 
we want to be a unicorn, right? That is the term mm-hmm. unicorn. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I'll be honest, I drank that Kool-Aid, you know, some five, six years ago. And I think especially here in Malaysia, there was a massive, um, sort of trajectory and growth and boom in the startup, um, industry here, the ecosystem. And I was part of that ecosystem, but at the same time, um, you know, I, I've seen the rise and fall of a lot of um, startups and, and I've sort of learned why. So after my first two startups failed, I, I kind of took a bit of a, an observing seat and, and really tried to learn from others and their experiences. Um, and ironically, when I had gone back into work after chemo, I went into innovation consulting. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we actually teach about entrepreneurship, which is developing entrepreneurs yeah. within an organization. And uh, we, talk, we teach a lot about lean startup methodology. And so that's where I um, kind of immersed myself uh, in that methodology and kind of actually took that learnings and what we teach our clients into my start today. And going back to your question about purpose, um, it, it requires a sense of longevity um, and stamina if you're going to be a successful entrepreneur. It's not just, hey, you know, I'm going to start a business two, three years, I'm going to sell it and flip it. I think there, there's yeah. so much more stamina that's required and longevity that's required. And I actually came across a, a term um, called the zebra, which is the opposite to a unicorn. And I heard okay. someone speaking on stage about a zebra startup versus a unicorn startup. And a zebra startup has, is a startup that's very much about this long-term goal. It's really very much about impact, whether it's on people or planet. Um, and mm-hmm. I felt that resonated with me so much because I felt that when I just started Bubble, I was in this sort of hybrid zone. I'm not quite a, a tech startup yet because I'm quite product centric. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm not like a, something that, you know, VCs would want to invest in. You know, I was just in this weird sort of gray zone and I couldn't quite categorize myself and I, I knew I didn't want to be a unicorn. So then what, what am I as a business? Right. And I felt that really, when I heard about that, we are a zebra. And, and that's really what I'm working towards is being a zebra. Another term is a rhino, um, <laughs> a startup, <laughs> all these animals. See, the difference is that a unicorn is a mythical creature. So <laughs> it doesn't really exist. It doesn't really exist, really, maybe in, in dreams. Um, but a rhino and a zebra does exist, right? And, and they yeah. can stand the test of time. And so um, with purpose for me, I felt that if you have purpose, it really anchors you in your vision. Um, and at the same time, not just you, your community, your customers, um, if we can communicate this in the right way, they're going to buy into that purpose and, and rightfully so, because it will affect them in the right way. And really, I think purpose is the seed, uh, towards long-term growth, um, and anchors founders, um, and I have so many fellow female founders who are anchored by purpose, similarly to what you're saying. And I feel that, you know, no matter what industry or what, what, um, business they're in, that purpose has really, um, helped to take them through a lot of the roller coaster rides. I think for me as well, I could say the same. I even have like purpose bands. I have this purpose band. I have a band on each of my children's names and purpose in the middle. And for me also, it's, it's my children are my purpose, why I do what I do and the risk that I'm actually taking to go into this full time with my husband as my co-founder mm-hmm. full-time. So we're putting all our eggs in one basket, but because we have the purpose and we believe so much in, in what we're doing and why we're doing it, um, it's beyond, it's bigger than us, right? Our business now, the purpose is beyond us. It's, it's bigger than us. It's really for um, all womankind, all menstruators really. And if we can make an impact in our own way, 
and however small or big that we can, um, at least I know, you know, the time that we're spending is, is time well spent. Yes, definitely. If you can address a real need and align your business to a purpose and make a real impact there, whilst also being profitable and supporting your family, then to me, that feels like the golden ticket. You, you mentioned earlier that you did some market research before launching Bobble and that you trialed with a small group and a small mm-hmm. MVP. What was the feedback that you were receiving at that time about what women were looking for in their period products? Yeah. So um, first thing is I wanted to get feedback from an unbiased, well, as much as possible, unbiased groups of women. So not just friends, because friends will tell you what you want to hear. Um, so it was really about how I can spread this beyond my own circle of friends, really to people I didn't know and to different uh, age groups from sort of late teens to those in their um, early 40s. Um, so there's about 450 women um, that we did the survey with. And it was interesting to see that, number one, Buying pure products is one of the least conscious decisions that a woman makes. So if they go to a pharmacy or to a supermarket, you know, it's something that, you know, you've probably grown up with a particular brand that you're used to or your mom told you and you just kind of stuck with it. Um, so, so I would say like a, a good 60, 70% of women had just kind of just throw it in the, <laughs> throw it in their, their trolley, right? Yeah. They're not really thinking much about what they actually use around really um, one of the most sensitive and highly absorbent parts of your body. Um, there were also a group of women that do suffer in silence, but do suffer with um, allergies, uh, rashes, um, and it actually is sometimes caused by the peer products that they're using. Um, and, and so therefore are looking for alternatives, um, yeah. other behaviors like 50% of women, uh, they are the stock up type. So you'd buy like five, six months worth of stock and put it in your bathroom. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and others are more reactive and they just buy in the go. And for me, that was interesting insight because we offer a, a customized period subscription service. So really just trying to understand, um, the buying behavior uh, of an yeah. individual, um, but also, and also we looked at things like pricing and whatnot, what really mattered to women. And when I, what, what was interesting is that actually women are starting to become more conscious of um, why they're choosing certain brands. So they're starting to look into, okay, are they an eco-friendly brand? Okay, what materials are they using? So um, almost 100% of women would actually make the switch if they know if they had access to a organic cotton alternative. Um, okay. And about 70% of women, at least in my survey, um, would make that switch to a subscription service. I mean, if you think about now, we subscribe to Netflix and Spotify and gym memberships and probably like facial packages and all sorts of things. Right. I mean, why not for our periods, right? Something that happens every single month. So, um, so, so, so with that data, it kind of gave me a bit more confidence to start the business. And, um, and so when I did start with the business, it was, uh, a good nine month journey, um, really just sourcing and talking to suppliers and figuring out our supply chain. Um, and when we, we were ready to have product in hand to sell, uh, we had, uh, I would say, a fairly small amount of product. Um, when I say small, we're looking at the, the thousands uh, of boxes. Right. Okay. Um, and 
it was great to actually start on ground being in these bazaars. So I had, you know, uh, I bootstrapped this myself. So I, I put in my own money and, um, it was great to be on ground and not actually hide behind the website just yet so that I can actually speak to customers, talk to women, get their feedback as well. So we would take down their details and I'd reach back out to them after to really um, understand their experience. And then, uh, so this is in October, 2019. Um, we did a few bazaars and then only in December, 2019, we, we launched the website to enable just easier transactions and the ability to sell without us being on ground. Cause it was really just me and a couple of interns doing this. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't really scalable. And, uh, so then when we launched the website in December, 2019, uh, our, some of our customers came back, bought from us there. And then we sold out, um, our, our day and night pads, um, seven months later in, in April, 2020. So, um, the feedback was positive. And then and I think that really just validated, um, first and foremost, the product, the product has to function, right. It has to perform yeah. and women have to feel comfortable using it. Um, and really like buying online and the subscription service is more of a vehicle and an, and an enabler to digitize, um, you know, purchasing these sorts of products. Um, but the main important thing is that the product, uh, was what women wanted and, uh, and yeah, so, and we've just been growing, um, since then. So what is the impact, the environmental impact of conventional period products? Because it was, to be honest, something that until recently I hadn't even considered. Possibly Mm. because, as you mentioned, buying period products is the least sort of empowered or considered choice (laughs) that a woman makes. Um, So what with conventional products, what happens to them when we dispose of them and and how long Mm. do they take to break down? Sure. So with conventional products, um, you have to think both product and packaging. So with, um, you know, with products there, okay, first and foremost, they're not using uh, natural organic cotton. Um, there's a lot of rayon that's used. So what rayon is, is, is really a synthetic material. It's, it's basically um, lab produced to mimic uh, a feel of cotton to a certain extent. Um, and you know, you'd have traces of things like plastics or, uh, latex, um, perfumes, right. Scented pads. And so, uh, you know, all the different, um, concoctions of, of chemicals and different materials that are used, um, not only are non-biodegradable, um, but also call, are, are the culprits that causes rashes and allergies or eczema with women around the vulva region. Okay. Um, and then with the packaging, as you can clearly see, if you walk down any aisle in the peer product aisle, most of them are basically packaged in plastic. And that's really because it's easier to transport and um, less likely to damage and it's, you know, cheaper as well. So it's, it's just makes so much more sense um, in terms of shelf life and, uh, and also lower costs. So if we look at the fact that there are a lot of non-natural um, elements um, and plastic-based elements in product and packaging, when you dispose of this, you know, goes through the waste management channels and sits in landfills basically for 500 years. And uh, the only way to really clear off a lot of plastic um content in landfills is to burn it off. So when you're burning Mm. um, uh, landfills or anything plastic-based, you need high heat, high intense heat, and that actually releases carcinogens in the atmosphere and thus creates this vicious cycle, right, Uh, of global warming and so on and so forth. So so that's uh, the, yeah, the impact now. And if you can, if you think about how many 
pads you'd use every month, then multiply yeah. that by possibly around four, 450 times in your lifetime. That's how many pieces. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's terrifying actually. <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> the impact of something that, you know, we can't control. We all have periods. Um, but, and it's also incredible, as you said earlier, that it's only in the last five years that have I seen brands kind of tackling this issue um, mm. and seen these products available in the mainstream. What about the impact on our bodies mm-hmm. of um, scented perhaps or uh, period products with um, preservatives in them? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I think let's answer the scent one first. It's why, why do we need to even mask the smell of our period blood? Albeit, of course, we don't smell like flowers. We don't bleed flowers. Um, actually, the smell is really, um, it's a bit of a metallic smell. And that's because your body is really releasing iron, magnesium, and zinc. And these are just natural um, elements that are in our bodies. And so this, this scent is just really... Um, unnecessary and yeah. it feeds into the stigma of periods and period blood being dirty and gross. And what we find is that so uh, perfumes and latex, if there's any traces of latex, these are the big culprits that causes um, rashes. Uh, and I've had uh, several customers report that they actually suffer from eczema around their vulva. So can you just imagine how uncomfortable that is every single month? Um, yeah. And so since switching over to uh, a bubble product where we have the organic cotton top layer, that's the part that actually touches your skin, their rashes have actually either subsided or stopped. If you Mm -hmm. pick up a packet of pads the next time you go down the supermarket, firstly, try to read what it's made of. Either you'll find that you don't understand what it's made of, or you may find that it doesn't list the ingredients because period products... um, uh, under the FDA is actually considered a medical device and therefore legally does not have to declare what it's made of. So when I really? read about this, yeah, when I read about this in my research, this was what was a big alarm button. And I just started habitually, like when I go down the supermarket, the pharmacy, I just try and pick up some brands and just like, oh, like, do any of them like, actually say what they're made of? Um, there were a couple that actually didn't, didn't actually show that. And, you know, if you look at a packet of pads now, there's so much information being thrown at you, you'd rather just not read it um, yeah. and just throw it in the trolley, right? Um, so it's, it's really, yeah, it's really concerning that that is actually okay. Um, uh, yeah, so I would say that for us to empower ourselves a little bit more, um, we should be questioning uh, brands. We should be demanding for a little bit more transparency um, and uh, and I think at the end of the day, it's up to us, right? We, we, we as consumers, we have that choice and it's really about making switches to other alternatives. I mean, other than bubble, there are so many other alternatives out there and in this industry and in period care, I mean, there's so much innovation happening and, and that's uh, us as a brand, we will be um, driving more innovations in the space as well. Um, and, and so really we want to educate women that you now do have a choice. There are options that you can choose and you don't have to stick to the brands that we're just so used to. But for those of you listening to this, if your period health, you know, your vagina care, uh, menstrual well-being, if those things matter to you, then you really have to start considering what you're using for your period care products. Yeah, 100%. And I just want to touch on, you mentioned innovation with your product and there was just a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, firstly, how did you find the materials that you needed to create your product? Because, I mean, you've mentioned that there are a few um, brands in your space, but Bobble is the only organic and biodegradable period product, uh, like traditional period product in terms of pads and tampons, not reusables that I am aware of in the Malaysian market. And then secondly, you've also spoken about how you'd like to find more Southeast Asian suppliers for your cotton and your other um, ingredients and foster innovation within sort of the regional supply chain. Um, So, yeah, if you could just let me know what that process was like. First of all, finding the products, manufacturing it, and then what you're doing to, um, to foster innovation in this space. Absolutely. Okay. That's a really good question. Um, it was a good like nine months to 10 months, what well, nine months to a year journey and, and sort of researching. And part of that research is really um, talking to different manufacturers and factories out there and really also understanding um, the materials that go into a pad and their supply chain. And uh, I actually initially was looking towards the West. Um, I was speaking to a couple of factories out in Europe um, one of which actually supplies to Jessica Alba's company, the Honest Company. Okay. Um, and uh, what I learned is that not everywhere in the world can farm um, organic cotton, certified organic cotton. And uh, one of the main certifications for this is uh, what is called GOTS certification. So it stands for Global Organic Textile Standard. So um, ensuring that the farms, like so the source, the farms um, and and the organic cotton itself are GOTS certified and along with the factories having their certification as well. And then um, even us as a brand, right, we're working on certification ourselves too. But in terms of the materials, it was really looking at combining different layers um, that will ensure um, a safer product that can be used on the skin but at the same time can perform. So uh, there are a lot of different alternatives out there. Um, I started off with organic cotton because of how it felt on the skin. It's a lot softer on the skin compared to conventional brands. Um, And uh, at the same time, and, and I just want to point this out, right? What I've also learned is that a lot of brands out there and, and sort of anything to do with you know, cosmetics, beauty, healthcare, da, da, da. If you hear organic and natural and plant-based, I, I mean, it doesn't always necessarily mean it's way more expensive. So what mm-hmm. I learned is that organic cotton farming and production and materials is not a heap more expensive than the generic stuff that we're buying now. And so um, there, there are other options like bamboo and banana fibers and, and cassava. And there's so many different options out there. But because there hasn't been enough innovation to scale um, those materials, they're still a little bit expensive. And I wanted to be very careful in how we priced. And we didn't want to price something that sent the message that pure, like good quality pure products are a luxury item, right? Safer pure products are a luxury item. So so I did made the, make the decision to start with organic cotton because, honestly, it's not that much more expensive to, to manufacture. Um, and so we use other elements like fluff pulp. Um, we have a couple of layers of fluff pulp, which really originates from trees. Um, you know, the sticky part on the back of the pad that attaches the paper that's made from a natural resin. Um, it's like a gum from a tree. And then uh, the back sheet, which is a paper um, that's, that's of course, paper-based and biodegradable. We have what is called an absorbent core. Uh, and so this um, thin layer actually absorbs 100 times its size. So this is actually what is absorbent. It's not organic cotton that's absorbent because organic cotton in itself is not an 
a highly absorbent material, um, you need to have an absorbent core. And so it's a similar technology to what you'd see in like diaper or, or other pads. There's so many different grades of these absorbent cores. We were trying to source for one that was biodegradable. So when it actually comes into content with high volumes of liquid or even salt, um, it will it will first absorb liquid. It will turn into a bit of a gel-like form, but then it will turn back into a liquid form um, over time. So, um, so these are some of the, the elements that um, I learned um, over my journey talking with many factories and um, suppliers and raw material suppliers. And um, okay, and I just want to point out there's a difference between biodegradability and compostability as well, right? So, okay. yeah. biodegradable is something that can break down um, upon diff- uh, you know based on different uh, elements. Compostability is you could throw it in your backyard and it's going to feed the earth, right? So. Um, so with, with bubble products, uh, I mean, like you pointed out, we started off with really the core, like the core of what we know, pads and tampons, because it's going to be very hard to change a woman's behavior of, of, of using a pure product in a totally different way, like the cup or rewashables. Um, so rather than change out the behavior, we wanted to change out the product, right, as a first step. So we're a, a good bridge between generics and, and fully reusable alternatives, which we are we are working towards um, leaning into these, uh, launching these alternatives as well. Um, why I didn't end up um, sourcing in Europe because it was very expensive logistically. Yeah. Uh, and again, we didn't want to pass that cost on to the customer and paying in the euros, right? So we looked back into the East and then that's where it started, got me thinking and, you know, how can we also help um, our local communities? And as I mentioned before, you know, women and youth is a big passion of mine. How could I eventually bring jobs back in our region? Um, you know, women who need flexible or part-time work, um, you know, at least to support themselves or their families. Um, this is something that I'm, I'm working towards. So right now, uh, our raw materials are actually sourced from around the world. Um, organic cotton isn't grown everywhere. We don't have the weather for it here in Malaysia. Um, our organic cotton comes from Turkey. Um, the, the, the factory um, is actually in China. So we have a factory that we work with in designing and actually putting together. We have the molds there. Um, but then our packaging is uh, fully biodegradable and compostable, actually. Um, we use FSC certified paper. What that means is that um, it, it, it stands for Forest Stewardship Council. So they're sourced from sustainable forests. So for every tree that's cut down, sorry, they'll plant a new tree. So for every tree that's cut down, they'll plant a new tree. And then we use soy-based ink, so like veggie dye. Uh, on all our print on our boxes so um, we do that locally here in Malaysia because we want to quality control that so we 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 produce that and we pack um, all our products locally here I want to go back to what you've said about cost Mm -hmm. that a period product is a Mm -hmm. basic necessity and that it shouldn't be a luxury item even if it is made with more premium materials that's something I really like about bubble the fact that the products are the same price as the common supermarket or pharmacy brands and if you take up a bubble subscription, they're possibly even a little bit cheaper. How much of an issue is period poverty in Malaysia and Singapore, the markets that bubble is serving at the moment? And is bubble doing anything to address this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Pure poverty is, is uh, definitely more of a problem here than perhaps uh, as it is in Singapore. I mean, we have a massive B40 community yeah. that are still, um, to this day, using things like coconut husks and newspapers and old rags because they either can't afford and can't access um, or a lack of education in this space. 
Um, and, uh, you know, two years ago, there was an event that sort of brought this to light. There was someone that actually represented the Ministry of Women, if I'm not mistaken, um, and she couldn't even answer this question of peer poverty because the, the fact of the matter is there's not been no studies done in Malaysia, so we don't know how big the problem is, but we know it's a problem. So what we're seeing is that there's a pattern in Malaysia, um, but this is a pattern all over the world, but uh, really this pattern where young girls are skipping schools because they can't have access yeah. to peer products um, or women skipping work, um, and, and this just become, you know, feeds into the vicious cycle of um, lack of opportunity for, for young girls as, as they grow up. Um, at the same time in Malaysia, we're seeing that uh, a lot of young girls or women are getting pregnant because okay. they don't have access to peer products. And uh, I know it sounds illogical to, to most people, but to them, if you imagine you're in the situation that you, you just don't know how to handle your periods, you just get pregnant. Um, and then to again... To stop having periods. To stop having periods. Um, and again, these are in... Uh, there's a lot of cases that are happening out in East Malaysia. Um, and again, in our B40 community. So it's alarming. And um, so... For, for us at Bubble, um, over this past year or so during the pandemic, um, well, the first thing that we could do, the low-hanging fruit, was we've, we've to date donated about 30,000 pieces of pads to uh, women who've lost their jobs due to the COVID, um, those in B40 communities, those who have been affected by the flooding in different areas yeah. um, in West Malaysia. So we've, we've tried to support um, in, in donating um, pads. We worked with a women's aid organization you know, for those women who were uh, running away from abusive homes and they were sort of stuck during COVID in, in, in the shelter homes. So we supplied to them there. So during that time, at least they had access to peer products um, to uh, working with the Sarawak Women for Women Society. Um, they serve the B40 community out there. So we've done a lot of sponsoring and donating. But the reality is this is not a sustainable model, right? Yeah. I mean, 30,000 pads, 100,000 pads sounds like a lot, but it's not going to last that long if you really do the math. So yeah. um, we're working towards uh, launching a more sustainable uh, model where together with our community, uh, let's just say, for example, if you're a customer or a subscriber, you could add you know, a few ringgits to your subscription and that would sponsor a girl every month for her monthly um, right. period needs, similar to a world vision model. So, and so for me, it's really how we can connect um, the community uh, to be part of this because not a, there's no one single entity or organization or brand that can do this alone. It has to be a whole community effort with corporate community brands, government as well. So that's one thing that we're working towards and also um, pledging a percentage of our profits to actually go towards um, supporting girls in better education in the space and also um, having access to period products. Yeah, I think I think that's amazing. So yes, I will certainly be signing up to sponsor uh, another woman or young girl who needs um, period products. I think, you know, the education aspect is really important because we heard there were stories in the media about Malaysian girls being asked to undergo period spot checks, um, which in addition to creating like lasting trauma, it also creates more stigma around menstruating. Um, and education is obviously so important in reducing some of that stigma. So is there anything else you guys are doing in the community to try and destigmatize menstruating? You mentioned earlier how you hate the word feminine hygiene. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the 
we're very conscious in the language that we're actually trying to use. Um, so if you think about you know, the last 50, 100 years, we know this as sanitary pads or feminine hygiene products, right? And those words already sort of feed this, this negative stigma um, and connotation that, you know, periods are, are dirty. Um, definitely there is a layer of complexity to this, especially in Malaysia, given it's a Muslim country, right, where culture and religion does play a factor. Um, but I guess my Bobble as a brand um, does carry a little bit of my DNA in it. And just me by nature, I'm someone that's quite outspoken, not afraid to go against the grain a little bit um, and, and not afraid to be challenged and speak out. And um, <clears throat> I mean, just, you know, with what we publish, um, with the videos that we've published, with the, the choice of language that we use. I mean, these are some of the small steps that we try to take to set an example or lead by example to others um, on ways that you can talk about this topic differently, open, freely. We want to come up with more uh, video-related content that I think really tells the story of uh, the beauty actually, and, and really celebrating womanhood around periods in, 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 in the right way. And uh, I mean, we had a video that actually got taken down. It was reported in, in TikTok uh, a couple of months ago. It was like literally a video of how to wear a pad. Um, it was more education based and it got reported, it got taken down and we appealed and it actually got put back up and it went viral. So we had about half a million views and about 30% of the viewers were actually men, surprisingly. And men were like, wow, I didn't know that. And they found it so interesting. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is what a woman uses. Oh my gosh, it looks so big. I mean, a pad is so big, right? And, yeah. and so, um, so another part to this and, and how we can normalize this is how do we pull in the other 50% of the population? Yeah. Right. And, um, and, really having, <laughs> and having men as our allies and, and championing this with us. And um, it can be an uncomfortable conversation to have, but it's an important one to have. And I think if we think about it, we're feeding our own stigma into our children. And yeah. so um, how do we break free from that? Right. It's, it's really uh, actually say, calling, calling it as it is. A period is a period. Uh, a vulva is a vulva, a vagina is a vagina. It's really another part of your body, like your elbow or your ear. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and again, in schools, um, I remember even when I was in school, it's separating the boys from the girls when it you know, comes time to talking about periods. True. Um, and, and why is that, right? It, it, it could be like part of, why, why couldn't it be part of biology class in a way, right? Or if it's, um, you know, sex and periods, how could we normalize this and educate this in the right way so that we are, you know, avoiding issues like, um, you know, early, early pregnancy and, and baby dumping, for example, right? And so us as a brand, we're working towards how we can encourage policy change um, in this space. I mean, hats off to you. I definitely agree. You need to involve the other 50% in this conversation. I think about it often because um, I am a mother of boys and I want them to grow up to be the kind of men who understand this and can have conversations about periods um, openly. Um, Absolutely, right? Our sons are one day going to grow up to be husbands, exactly. you know, brothers or boyfriends, you know. Yeah, exactly. As much <laughs> as know. I don't want to think about it, it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's it's going to happen. And um, 
Yeah. And, and then one of the other things that we're working towards is how we can work with corporates and, and schools and universities to provide free period products in the workplace or in schools. So yeah. we've seen like New Zealand and Scotland yeah. um, sort of take the lead in this space. So why can't Malaysia be one of the first Asian countries, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, why, why not? Why not Malaysia? Why not? Exactly. Exactly. Can we go back for a minute and talk about the startups that you mentioned at the beginning of our chat, which didn't work out? Mm -hmm. I think it was Michael Jordan who said that the reason why he believes he's been so successful is because he's failed so often. And I think research also backs up that there is a correlation between success and um, learning from failure. So have you had any big failures and what have they taught you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I mentioned in the beginning of the session, um, Bubble is my third startup to date. And uh, the first two startups were, yes, failures. Um, we closed them down. So the first startup, um, the hard lesson that I learned was timing, right? If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you think about timing to market and really um, challenging your assumptions. Is this a product that the customers want at that given time? So what we were doing back then, I was pulled in as a fifth partner. We had five co-founders and uh, it was kind of like Shopify. Um, but this is like back when everyone just started selling on social media. So for them, it's like, why would I pay for a platform when I'm doing it for free on my social media? So um, that was a, it was a really good lesson learned. Again, you cannot force a product down uh, a customer's throat. Um, they got to, you got to be solving a problem, right? And I think it yeah. just wasn't a clear problem that we're solving. So the second start, startup was myself and, and two other founders. Again, I was pulled in to, with, with two of our partners. Um, and uh, this was in the space of property tech. Um, again, you know, we drank the Kool-Aid, you know, we thought, hey, this is a great idea. There's so many condos in, the, in Malaysia. Um, and I quit my full-time job. I had a very uh, cushy job, you know, very well-paying salary. And I, I quit my job this time I thought maybe the problem was that I wasn't full-time at my last startup. So I quit my job, went into this full-time. And then uh, a year later, um, I just realized I had to cut my losses short. It was not the right team. I just had the wrong co-founding team. They weren't able to ride the ride with me. And uh, that was a, a, a tough pill to swallow, especially when it comes to people. Um, so yeah, second lesson is really making sure you have the right team or the right co-founding team to, to go the distance with you. Um, and so, you know, we hear a lot about failing forward, mm -hmm. uh, right? Fail fast, and, uh, fail, fail, fast, fail forward. forward, right? And uh, to a certain extent, yes, I agree with that. And um, I've now, I guess, in my lots of experience and, and, and lots of failures, and those are sort of the bigger ones and lots of the smaller ones, I realized that um, I came across the term, and you would have probably heard of it, right, as a fan of Simon Sinek, about falling forward. What it, what it connotates is that you're able to pick yourself up right? You fall and you can pick yourself up and you can move on. Um, it doesn't sort of die at that point. And so I felt like maybe in the, in the last couple of startups, I, I, uh, the day to day we failed on certain things, but then really overall I fell forward and I was able to carry those lessons that I'd learned with me through to bubble in this startup. And even with bubble now, we're still, um, having small failures on a uh, sort of a, I won't say day to day, but here and there really just learning from them. We're a lot of about experimentation mm -hmm. and testing things on a small scale, um, really about putting your ear to the ground and listening to customers first, um, before making big, um, decisions, uh, that we would have to spend and invest on. Yeah. You also said something at the beginning of this, um, um, the session, you said you decided to bet on yourself. And actually, that's the safest bet you can make. 
betting on yourself mm-hmm. because whatever sticky situation you put yourself in, you have also re- learned um, over all of the different challenges you've been through to trust yourself that you will get yourself out of it. Um, I think that's something that I've learned. If you bet on yourself, it's people think of it as a risk, but it's actually safer to bet on yourself than to bet on anybody else. Um, Absolutely. And what have you learned about yourself through this journey with Bobble? Um, yeah, I think it's been, uh, and it's still, of course, uh, a learning journey about myself, um, a learning journey with my marriage, uh, yeah. so to add an extra <laughs> layer, right? So my husband came on as a co-founder. I kind of pulled him in because of pandemic and I needed extra help. And his business was sort of, uh, on, on the standstill because of the pandemic. So I'm like, Hey, come and help me. And then now it's just, he sort of become a permanent part of the team, but one, a great one at that. So it's really learning a lot about myself and then the dynamic of, of being able to work with my husband as a business partner. We've learned a lot about each other and, um, you know, it's really taught us to be a lot more solution oriented, mm-hmm. um, and, and a bit more forward thinking. Um, and I know that being an entrepreneur, you have to be visionary and bigger picture. Um, but to really manage and maintain that and communicate that through your team, um, and, and your, your customers, um, that's something that, uh, I'm honing myself as well. It's kind of relearning a lot about myself and I'm discovering that, um, actually where my skill sets lie even more. Um, and I always thought I'm not a creative person, but I realized I am a lot more creative than I, than I, than I thought I was. So, um, yeah. So overall, I think that, you know, stamina, resilience, a sense of creativity, constantly wanting to learn and being curious. Um, I think that's definitely been amplified, um, over the last year and a half and definitely more learning curves to come, I'm sure. Oh, well, thank you so much, Melise, and congratulations as well for getting to this, this part of the, this phase of the business. And, um, and now I think next year you're going to be, you know, really scaling. You mentioned that you've just raised a first round. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So congratulations with that. And thank you very much for your product. Um, it's, thank it's you a for great being our customer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a great product. And, uh, the subscription model makes it really easy. Um, and I, it's something I've been much more conscious about trying to find uh, period products that leave less of an impact on the environment. Um, yeah. So thank you. And thank you so much for your time and sharing your story so generously with, with me and with our listeners. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And, uh, yeah, if anyone wants to find out more or learn more, feel free to, to follow us at, at bubble.it on Instagram or just DM me. Um, I'm happy to take any personal questions as well. I think, you know, uh, women supporting women, um, we, we hear this a lot, but I think it's so important in this day and age. And, uh, I've certainly been supported by a lot of women and definitely something that I want to pay for it as well. So thank you so much for having me. And I love the name of your podcast because, <laughs> you know, it, it is literally my mantra and it anchors me now. And, um, and I think that what you're doing is, is fantastic to, to really shine a light on all these stories and hopefully it inspires um, more women to take the courage and do what they believe in and invest in themselves. Thank you so much for tuning into this conversation with Melissa and I. You know, often in life, things don't work out the way we planned. And while I realize this is much easier said than done, and it does require resilience and a huge amount of support, when things don't turn out the way you expect, it can be an opportunity for growth 
and success, even if it's a different kind of success. And when you realize that you have to shift focus to option B, as Sheryl Sandberg writes, you, any one of you, can kick the shit out of it. That's all from me today. You'll hear from me again next week. Bye.